You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. All right, guys, welcome to Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. I am your host, Ebony K. Williams, along with my lovely co-host. I am Mari Fagel. Of course, this is the show where we break down all the week's headlining entertainment legal news. Absolutely. Um, so we're just jumping uh, to a really kind of sad story for our case of the week this week, Mari. Uh, just this last Friday, the passing of two-year-old son of um, football MVP Adrian Peterson. Uh, the two-year-old passed away at the alleged hands of the boyfriend of the mother. Uh, apparently, uh, the mother and two-year-old boy moved in with this 27-year-old man, uh, the man named Joey Patterson. Uh, And the story goes that the mother stepped out for just moments, and in her absence, uh, Patterson was alone with the 2-year-old, called 911, alleging that there was a choking incident. Uh, When the authorities came to the scene, they said that their injuries really weren't consistent with accident. Uh, They said that they kind of noticed some maybe blunt force trauma and some injuries to the head. Uh, So, you know, they took the boy to the ER. He was in very critical condition and ultimately succumbed to his injuries the day after. Um, So very, very sad story there. Uh, Initially, Patterson was charged with aggravated assault on an infant and aggravated um, I guess battery, but now of course the boy has has passed on, so we expect to see those charges escalated. And he's currently being held on seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars bond. I have to say, though, Mar, what really struck me about this this is not Patterson's first time dealing with these types of issues. This guy, uh, the judges asked for an activated sentence on something that was suspended. This guy's already been convicted of battery and assault of an ex girlfriend mm-hmm. and and her three year old son. Uh, he beat that boy so bad he needed ice for his injuries, and then he attacked the mom when she had a visceral response to that. Uh, So this guy, you know, already had a conviction on his record for this type of domestic abuse against a child, and now this really sad outcome. Your thoughts, Mari? When I saw the prior conviction for attacking another child that's when the rings the bells went off in my head, and I thought, this is not a good guy. There is a lot to this story. What will be interesting to me is whether the prosecutors will be able to get evidence of this prior conviction in because it's tough, you know, it's tough to get these prior convictions in it's under evidence rules, very, very limited unless he were to bring some sort of character evidence of his good character in. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether jurors will actually know about that, because in my mind, that shows a propensity for someone to attack children and women. And um, what I think is interesting also in this story is where Adrian Peterson himself fits in. We're going to get to that, Mark. I don't want to cut you off, but I want to you make a good point in terms of the likelihood of that prior bad act coming in. Mm-hmm. And just want to break down for our viewers and listeners kind of what's going on with that. Because for a lot of people, that would seem like common sense, you know, like obviously. And, and I get that. But the other side of that, where the judge is going to be concerned, is something that they call prejudicial effect. Mm-hmm. And that is 
that many jurors will hear of you doing something in the past and assume that you've done it in this particular instance. So a judge has to weigh that prejudicial effect against, you know, the other the side of that, which is it is consistent with the prior bad behavior. So that's that's kind of the the weight that the judge has to, to deal with there. Yeah, like I was saying, a prior conviction for a very similar incident Absolutely. of attacking mm-hmm. a toddler mm-hmm. shows a propensity or a likelihood to do this again in this instance. Sure. So that would help, you know, prosecutors to get him convicted. But like you said, that's very prejudicial because jurors listen to that and they tune everything else out. And they say this guy, because he's done it in the past, he did it again. And that is the prejudicial effect here. Um, And if you're the defense lawyer for this Patterson guy, you're going to make the argument that that's unreasonable and certainly too prejudicial um, Mm -hmm. and and that your client should be tried on the facts of this particular case. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be that counter argument. And then in terms of where Adrian Peterson fits in, you know, at first there was misleading reports. They thought it was his son that currently lives with him, and right. it was not. It turns out it's a son who lives in Sioux Falls um, from, and we'll talk about this term because people have been talking about this term, from a baby mama, mm-hmm. um, you know, a girlfriend of his. And this, unfortunately, a very sad incident has become very racially charged and has become very focused on who he was as a father. And I think that's not where the focus should be. I want to read some quotes from um, this New York Post article by Phil Mushnick called Being a Great Player Doesn't Make Adrian Peterson a Great Guy. He says, quote, with his resources, how could Peterson, the NFL's MVP, have allowed his son to remain in such an environment? Did he not know or not care? Or did he not care to know or not know to care? Finally, he says, maybe Peterson's son is just one more stands to reason murder victim just another child born to just another baby mama, one more kid who never had a shot anyway. Maybe by now, even if we can't accept it, we can expect it, which is strong words in this article. Uh, I would say so. And and I I think it's really uh, very presumptuous because some of the facts that we know are that, first of all, Adrian Peterson did not even know biologically that this uh, child was his until very recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, those test results just came back within the last couple of weeks. And the first time Adrian Peterson met this young boy was in the hospital mm-hmm. when he was in And again, just being aware that it is actually his son. So, and, and I'm sorry, I mean, the, the, the lawyer in me says I think that it's fair to wait for some type of DNA evidence to actually prove paternity. I don't think that makes Adrian Peterson a bad guy. Um, and I, I just think this is really unfounded. And also people handle their grief in different ways. One of the reasons this article was written was because um, the author took issue with the fact that Adrian Peterson so quickly played right yeah. after, said he was ready to roll and he played on Sunday night even though uh, the child died on Friday. Um People handle their grief differently. They handle things differently. And he wanted to keep playing, and I can't fault him for that. Yeah, I mean, for some people, their work and throwing themselves into that is very much a part of their grieving process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure Adrian Peterson loves football, and that might have been something to give him some comfort during this horrible time of tragedy. And, yes, his son died, but let's just, you know, put our pragmatic, you know, heads on here, Mari. This is not a boy he had a relationship with. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that he's not grieving and, you know, upset about the loss of his son. But let's not project the way we would handle this situation onto someone else who might be under very different circumstances. Yeah. Um, But this article really had a lot to say. Um, Yeah. What were the comments like under the article in terms of the racially charged? 
people aspect. were upset with the way you know he was characterizing um, the baby mama. People were upset with the way he was bringing race into it, um, and. You know, like I said, people handle grief in different ways. And so I think that was something people but but some people did agree with it because also, you know, this is a guy who the problem is he didn't know. He didn't right. know this was his son. Had he known this was his son for two years, maybe it would have been an issue that he didn't do anything to take his son out of this Absolutely. environment. Yeah. And also, uh, not to put this on, you know, I'm not trying to instigate a blame game, Mari. But at the end of the day, I believe that the mother is also the primary caretaker of the child. And this is a woman who, to me, if anybody had a responsibility to vet this 27-year-old guy who ultimately, they're saying, killed this young boy, it was it would have been her. I mean, she was the one that chose to be in the relationship with this guy. She was the one that moved not only herself, but her two-year-old son in with this guy. And he had a prior criminal record that was public information. So let's not just put all of this on Adrian Peterson as well. And the sad thing was she had just recently moved in with him. So it's a right. tragic story all around because this death really could have truly been prevented. And Absolutely. It was not. From, from many different places. Now, one question about the racially charged aspect, Mark. I do feel like, this is my personal opinion, I want to know your take on it, that baby mama does seem to be much more used in communities of color when you're talking about black and brown people. Your experience as a white woman, I mean, is it something that, is it a term that you guys often use in your community? I just think the term has different meanings to different people. I thought it was interesting when Kanye West got on stage um, after to announce Kim Kardashian's pregnancy and he said, this is my baby mama. And Mm -hmm. there was some conversation about whether that was disrespectful or not, because I think sometimes it has a disrespectful connotation. And um, that to me, I think is the problem because the word generally it, it just means like the mother of your child when you're not married. So it doesn't, you know, but for some reason, the word baby mama has these connotations that um, I think, you think are negative. it has a cultural connotation. That's my per- a personal opinion question. <sighs> not necessarily because when you watch Teen Mom, they use the, that, like, I don't think it necessarily has um, a racial connotation. I just think it has a negative connotation. Interesting. Um I, I, I tend to disagree, Mari, just from my experience. I do think that when I hear of unwed white mothers, especially my experience practicing family law in a courtroom, mm-hmm. I would never hear um, that in, refer to her referred to in that way. But yeah. for some reason, I often hear in the case of when it's a black kind of defendant who hadn't paid his child support or whatever, I've heard lawyers in, you know, proper court attire refer to the young lady in the courtroom. Well, your honor, his baby mama's over there. Yeah. But that's the problem I have with it is the negative connotation. Yeah. And so I don't care if it's a white person or a black person or a Hispanic person. I think that they need to stop tying it to women in general. Well, I agree with you. I just think the frequency that it is tied negatively happens to be more often with minority communities. I just don't hear it as much. I have heard it on occasion, but not not as much. Yes, Yes, Phil. And also the person who's speaking right now is our wonderful producer, Phil Svitek, who is behind the scenes every week. Thank you for speaking finally. Of course. (laughs) Well, here's my take on it. When you say baby mama, that's very improper English, right? Yes. And so I think the ne- that's that's where the negative connotation comes from, and I, why well, I think it's stereotyped to uh, you know a black culture is because of that fact of like oh they they don't know correct grammar, oh, so they go oh that's my baby mama because like you slang. can't speak. Yeah. It's almost slang, but it's know? not the grammar that I have fault with. I have fault with you know when you say baby mama, you mean oh this girl who I don't care about, who you know she had this kid, and it ha- I don't know. But then when you say an unwed mother, like I don't know. Do you do you understand what but, I'm saying? But, but, 
but you're saying the same thing though, Mar. If you say baby mama versus mother of my child, same definition sounds and feels very different. That's the problem I have with it Mm -hmm. is it's the same definition, unwed mother and baby mama, yet for some reason when you use this term, it has negative connotations. And that's what I think the problem with it is. I agreed. But to Phil's point, I do think – that it gets associated when you're talking about a lower socioeconomic class or minorities who have been oppressed and things of the, just this kind of subculture thing that goes on in our country. But we'll see. Interesting. <laughs> Maybe that should have been our um, tipping point. Uh, of, <laughs> that should have been our question of the tipping week. Tipping the scales. Tipping the scales. Yeah, anyway. All right, moving on. We got um, some heavy stuff on our docket. Give us what we got, Maureen. Yes. So on the docket this week, we have several stories. First up is Aaron Hernandez's fiance pled not guilty to perjury on Tuesday. Prosecutors allege that she lied, that she destroyed evidence in the case, and that Aaron Hernandez asked her to destroy a black box. She left the house with a trash bag, and when she came back, the trash bag was gone. She told three different stories. She told some family members she was at the store. She told the grand jury she was getting baby formula. She told an uncle she was at the bank. She claims that she is not lying. And the interesting thing here, this is what I want to get your take on, Ebony. Mm -hmm. Her attorney says that her and Aaron Hernandez had a don't ask, don't tell relationship. So she was basically blindly ignorant to everything going on. It's not like she knew and she lied about it. She didn't know in the first place. Well, I would (laughs) say this. (laughs) I would say – that I always encourage the women that um, – because I had lots of girlfriends and wives uh, of my criminal defendants come through my office. And I always would tell them, you know, just woman to woman, the less you know, the better. Yeah, That's just my – so I don't know if that was truly the case between her and Aaron Hernandez. Maybe, maybe not. But I certainly hope for her sake that it was because anytime you have any dealings with somebody in criminality – the less you know, the better, so that that way when you are called in by a grand jury or a prosecutor's office, you can honestly say you don't know. When you know and you lie, I mean, that's what you're going to jail for is the lying. And we have also before on the show talked about um, the privilege of being married. Can Spousal you... privilege. Yeah, absolutely. And some people have estimated that this is what we're going to maybe see happen yeah. here, um, that before this thing goes to trial, which is about a year off, Aaron Hernandez will marry this woman. Therefore, she can assert. And again, it's it would be her, the person who would be testifying potentially, who would have to assert the spousal privilege. And the design behind that is that we here in America, we love marriage and we don't want to make spouses have to say unsavory things about their significant other. But Again, I think it's always important that Aaron Hernandez understands he's not the one that would hold the privilege in this case. Mm-hmm. It would be her. So if he pissed her off, even if she was his wife, she could still have the option to testify against him. <sighs> I forgot about the All right. So on to Conrad Murray. So he was sentenced in November 2011 to four years in prison for killing Michael Jackson. Yet he is going to be getting out of prison two years early. On October 28th, Dr. Conrad Murray will be a free man because of in prison, you know, overcrowding in the prisons today, especially in California, he gets credit for each year served. So his mm. sentence was cut in half. The problem here is not even just that. He wants to start practicing medicine again. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> of course he does. And yeah. now Conrad Murray, he had held medical licenses in Texas, California, Hawaii, and Nevada 
The California Medical Board apparently, and I'm sure this will be the case, is saying no way will he practice again. They have made exceptions for doctors who have even killed patients in the past negligently, which is a different standard, and patients who have, or doctors who have had drug problems, they have been able to practice again. Conrad Murray was to such a moral fault, he will not practice again. Yeah, I, I, and that, that's a good distinction, Mari, and I think that's different. Versus, I'm pretty sure, I think it's Dr. Jan something, I can't remember his last name, but the doctor who was associated in the death of Kanye West's mm-hmm. mother, Dr. Donda was, he, I believe, 99% sure he is practicing again. Mm-hmm. And he's been reinstated. But like you said, due to negligence in that case, very different than an involuntary manslaughter conviction. Yeah, and I just think Conrad Murray is delusional. Like we said last week with Brian Panish, he is not taking the blame for what he has done. So how could you let a man continue to practice who doesn't see fault with what he did? He doesn't see fault with the fact that he injected Michael Jackson with so much propofol and then did not monitor him that that man died. Which is not even a drug that should be administered in the home anyway. Mm -hmm. That's what always just kind of bothered me. And And unmonitored. Yeah, well, it's unmonitored. And again, that's a drug that should only be administered in a hospital anyway. That Mm -hmm. is not a drug that you just you know, IV somebody up within their home. So I just want to quickly say yes. also his appeal is still pending. Uh, just because he's getting out of prison, he's still appealing the case. And I got to take a look at the appeal uh, this summer, the briefs, and um, definitely interesting. Yeah. What do you know? What, uh, damn you, Phil. All right. Moving I'm on. glad you stopped me anyways because <laughs> yeah. I'm not allowed to talk about it. Oh, okay. All, right, <laughs> All right. So uh, Soldier Boy next. This is going to be an interesting case. Soldier Boy's Bentley, one of his friends in January, was driving it outside of a Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, hit a motorcycle. The motorcyclist was severely injured, and the Bentley sped off. Uh I got to give the motorcyclist props here because... Soldier Boy, or the arrest came down in May because this motorcyclist went back to the Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles, talked to the valet, and he said, do you know who this person who had this Bentley was? And they connected it to Soldier Boy. The interesting thing is here, Soldier Boy, even though he was not driving the car himself, he could be held responsible for these injuries and held liable and have to pay damages for these injuries to the motorcyclist because of negligent entrustment. So Ebony, ah. um, you know, in California, TMZ kind of brushes over these things. They say in California, the owner of a vehicle who gives someone permission to drive is responsible when the driver screws up. It's not as simple as that because you need to prove two things. One, that the driver himself was reckless, Mm -hmm. which hit and run. Reckless won't be hard to prove. But you have to prove that Soldier Boy either was aware or should have been aware that his friend was a reckless driver and gave him the car anyways. And that is a difficult standard to prove. Yeah, exactly, Mara. I mean, unless that this guy maybe has a prior conviction of something like that or certainly some type of longstanding record of that, which I don't know, you know, probably not. Um, Exactly. That's that's a hard standard, that newer should have known um, standard, because. I mean, I've got close friends. I couldn't tell you what their driving records look like. And know? even if my friend was a good driver, I lent them my car. Accidents happen. He free- I'm not saying the hit and run's right, but, yeah. you know, uh, it's hard to prove that he knew or should have known that his friend was such a reckless driver. Yeah, I just think in general that concept of holding someone accountable for the intentional or negligent actions of another person is very difficult. We're going to be talking about that again in our weighing, in our tipping the yes. scales yes. of the week. Yes. Um, but it will be interesting to see because he – the. The motorcyclist really did have some nasty injuries. I did. I did. What do you think of him going back to the restaurant? 
Well, I'll tell you, the first thing that went in my mind was I was thinking personal injury lawyer. And I'm thinking, he wants the money. Uh, well, that, and I'm like, uh-oh, the fact that they're going to say, the fact that you could get back on your bike and go back says something about the severity No, not of right injuries. after. It was oh, like, this happened okay. in January, okay. and then he oh, later investigated. Back. Oh, okay. Well, so I said good. props to him. That's good. But, you know, the thing is... It was a Bentley and it was Soldier Boy. So yeah. if it was someone else, maybe he wouldn't have gone yeah. through the efforts. Bentley equals deep pockets. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Kim Zolziak, Phil, let's play your favorite song. <laughs> okay, so this is anyway. this is tardy for the party. Kim Zolziak song, Real Housewives of Atlanta star. Candy Burris, her co-star, sued Kim Zolciak over this song, claiming that Kim swindled her out of a huge chunk of the song's profits. Guess who her attorney was? None other than Real Housewives of Atlanta co-star Fedra uh, Parks. Um, Kim Zolciak won the case, and it, it, the judge ruled in her favor because of jurisdiction yeah, issues. Jurisdiction. Um, but Candy Burris... Kim claims that Candy sued her solely to gain publicity for her now-canceled show, The Candy Factory. I have to admit, I don't watch the show, so Ebony, I'm going to turn to you sure. to give your personal opinions on all of these characters. Okay, the first thing I'd like to make note of is how much Kim Zosiak's wigs have improved. Because <laughs> you know, this is a hot synthetic mess, and obviously she stepped her game up wig-wise. Really, truly. Um, okay, first of all, I don't know when... Any of the Atlanta housewives are going to learn to not hire Phaedra. Because um, seriously, this is like the second or third time she's represented a fellow castmate and been unsuccessful. I don't really think it's obviously working out too well there. Do Bravo producers like that, that I she's so. representing yeah. them? Because it's a good storyline. Yeah. It gives them more scenes, more footage. But, uh, yeah, not really working out there for, for Phaedra. Um, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe Kim, I don't really care for Kim, to be honest, but maybe she is onto something because nobody was watching that silly show Candy had, The Candy Factory. <laughs> it obviously has been canceled. Perhaps this was. I mean, it's not. But people watched her show. She had a second season. Yeah, yeah no, people did watch Kim's show and people love Nini's show. So people can have successful spinoffs from Atlanta Housewives, just clearly not Candy. Um, I, 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 but also, here's the thing. At the end of the day, it's not disputable that Candy is far and away the most talented of these housewives. She's an incredible songwriter. Obviously, Kim could not have had this little chunk of change she made from this without the help of Candy. So I do think yeah. some money was certainly owed, and I think she paid like a nominal amount. So I, at the end of the day, I do feel bad for Candy if she was financially shortchanged, which she probably was. So. Yeah, Candy um, was a songwriter for several... TLC, yeah. Mariah Carey. I mean, she's a Grammy Award-winning songwriter, so yeah. she's very legitimate in what she does. And I do think... Um, you know, she probably got the short end of the stick. But, you know, if there's a jurisdictional issue, and again, I'm mad at Phaedra. Like, you know that, Phaedra. Yeah. Just like, come on, get your life. Okay, so yeah. I'm going to move on to an interesting story here. It's kind of different than our normal entertainment legal news stories, but I saw this this week and I thought it was really cool. So I wanted to get your take on this. The New Hampshire Supreme Court has an on-the-road program where they go to high schools and colleges for certain issues, legal cases that they think will resonate with young people, and they have the attorneys argue the case in front of them, and then they allow the students to get up and question the attorneys themselves. I think it is a fascinating program. This week, the New Hampshire Supreme Court went to a high school in New Hampshire 
And the case was whether reading a text message while driving can amount to recklessness worthy of a prison sentence because this man had been reading a text message while going to pick up his Chinese food delivery and he went over the dividing lane, hit a car, and a teenage boy is now severely permanently brain injured because of it. Now, in New Hampshire, there is a law against sending a text while driving but not against reading reading a text. And I thought it it works both ways. Not only does it get the students involved and shows them truly the dangers of driving, of texting while driving, Mm -hmm. it gives these judges who are older, I think, a new perspective. Because one of the students got up there and he said, well, it depends on how long he was reading the text for. If he had only been reading the text Mm -hmm. for a second, but what if he'd been reading the text for 10 seconds? And I just, I think it's a great way of getting students involved. Well, I was going to say that, too. Yeah, I think it's a great way of also getting them involved in the substance of these cases. But more importantly to me, um, the process, you know, and and, and getting them understanding, you know, what a defense lawyer is, what a prosecutor is, what a judge is. For a lot of kids, Mari, you know, especially, you know, I guess this resonates for me. I was a first generation college graduate myself. I didn't know a lawyer in my life until I walked into law school. And that is my true experience. Um, I just you know, was fortunate that I had a mother that was an advocate for me. But for a lot of these kids, Mari, they don't know to aspire to be certain professions because they've never seen it. So this is an an opportunity of exposure for them to really understand, wow, there's something other than being a pop star or an athlete that I could, you know, go into. And so I think this stuff is great. When I was at Loyola um, for law school many moons ago, we had a class called Street Law, where we went into classrooms um, of underprivileged schools and Try cases, and also we did uh, moot court teams, and the kids got to – and it's just great for that same purpose. So I'm all about this program. I think it's fantastic, and I think more jurisdictions should adopt it. Yeah, I think it's not even – not only just the process, but the cases themselves because texting while driving is a huge issue now. It's only going to sure. get bigger. Um did you see those commercials for those watches now where you literally just like look up now i'm gonna see people driving going like this i mean it it the technology right now is crazy and when you combine that with driving it can get very very dangerous okay one last thing sorry this statute is ambiguous it should be a hands-free statute like we have here in california and that would take care of sending versus reading exactly okay sorry (laughs) cheap okay so time for tipping the scales so this is interesting so this is actually sad another sad note this young girl uh rebecca sedwick um leaped to her death after being cyberbullied. a 12 year old she's 12 year old um middle schooler i'm sure her birthday's tomorrow she would have been 13 13. so 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 sad um so uh, allegedly i guess mara you're telling me before she started dating a classmate's ex-boyfriend the girl got all mad you know rallied her little friend with her so these two alleged cyber bullies are 12 and 14 themselves Cyberbullied this girl to the point where she did commit suicide ultimately. So now the question is, the police have arrested the 12 and 14-year-old girls. They're considering moving on and actually filing charges against the parents as well. So our question to you, viewers and listeners, is that appropriate? Should these parents be held accountable legally for the actions of these 12 and 14-year-old girls? And should the teens themselves be criminally charged for being mean girls the problem here and why it can be a more clear-cut case because sometimes cyber billing this girl did commit suicide she killed herself so yes. showing that these girls were the cause of her death can be difficult in cyberbullying cases yeah. of this nature yeah. it's not as difficult here because the one of the teenagers wrote on facebook yeah. yes i know i bullied rebecca and she killed herself but i don't give a 
expletive. Yeah. So um, the two girls were charged with aggravated stalking. And this is the problem I have is fitting these new problems that didn't exist in the past into older, more traditional legal concepts and laws. So now you have to fit cyberbullying into the traditional elements of stalking. And that's why a lot of these states have passed cyberbullying laws in specific criminal and civil laws because then it's easier it this is something that we have not dealt with we didn't weren't dealing with this 10 years ago absolutely well and that's and that's one of the reasons i love the law is because it's constantly evolving and it's constantly changing but for the times it's, but it's always a little behind. slow no, no it's always behind Mark. Yeah. it's always behind but that's that's the nature of life and yeah. that's okay because i think that once we construct the statutes it can be specific to the elements as you're pointing out so that that these cases can move forward. I guess for me, this this is a kind of a no-brainer. I mean, I think there's going to be enough cases for the prosecutors to show that these 12 and 14-year-old girls should have, maybe you didn't know, but you should have known that this type of language, this type of cyberbullying could very likely lead to this type of consequence because there's been hundreds and thousands of cases of this type of thing happening. But what about the parents? I thought it was interesting because this well, um, yeah. happened in Florida. Mark O'Mara, uh, George Zimmerman's attorney, is trying to get the law passed to hold parents responsible. And he, this morning, was saying that You know, there are laws in place where if a child takes a parent's gun and kills someone, the parent can be held responsible. If a child takes the parent's car and kills someone, the parent can be held responsible, negligent entrustment like we talked about. Um, He says, you know, the parent should be aware of this, should be monitoring the children's Internet activities and should be aware of this and they should be held responsible. You know, I think that that is a leap. And I just think we need to get to the root of the problem with cyberbullying. The I, I but isn't after, but, 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 but there's the an fact, argument that the root of the problem Ari, is parenting. I think there's an argument to be made that at the end of the day, if parents are doing their job and teaching their kids values, because I know I wasn't allowed to pick on other kids. Period. Point blank. End of story. If something like that had gotten back to my mom, I would have gotten beaten home by her. So you know, the problem is that nowadays this bullying carries outside of just your school day, and yeah. it follows you all of the time because these kids are on social media. The parents the parents of the child who wrote that on Facebook said we knew she had a Facebook account. They're claiming there's no way she could have done it because the time stamp of when the status was sent was during a time where she doesn't have a computer in her room and she didn't have her mom's cell phone. So they're claiming that she couldn't have written the message, an alibi of sorts. <laughs> um, I do think parents need to monitor children's online activities, but what is scary to me is that this bullying doesn't end at school, and that is something that you or I never had to deal with because if we were bullied, it happened, and the second um, recess was up at 3 p.m., or, you know, the school school was done at 3 p.m., it was over, but now these kids go online, and it gets even worse, and it's... I don't know. I guess I'm old-fashioned, Mari, and I think it's even deeper than the the cyber aspect. I think think the cyber aspect really But I'm talking about character of kids, Mari. I'm not talking about whether it's... I don't think it's right any time of the day, and I guess I'm talking about not just monitoring your kids' online activities. Yes, absolutely. I'm talking about raising better kids. 
But you want to know the kids. difference with cyberbullying and why I think that it's worse is because it can be anonymous. Because when yeah, you hide behind Absolutely. the mask of a computer, you will say things to someone that you would never have the guts to say to them face to face. And that yeah. is a problem. And that's why I think bullying is even worse now yeah, and why is. we're seeing so many of these deaths. So I do agree it is for the parents. But I – you know, these after-the-fact laws to criminally punish these teenagers, it, it will help, but not as much as getting to the root of the problem. And right now is Cyberbullying Awareness Month. October is Cyberbullying yeah. Awareness Month. Um, and these are conversations that we need to be having, that parents especially need to be having with their children. And how yes. far do you go in terms of monitoring them? What would you do? Would you monitor your son or daughter's Facebook, Twitter, all they, of that? First of all, they wouldn't have any of that stuff, Mari. And I'm sorry. I was raised. I was brought up the old school. And it's just, it is what it is. If you think they can't get those accounts. Then they can get the account and they can do that. But again, I guess I'm talking about instilling character traits into kids because you're right. You can't monitor what they do 24-7. Yeah. So I'm talking about instilling a sense of consciousness and yeah. accountability in these young kids to where they wouldn't do this even if they had access. Yeah. That's really the root of the problem for me. But that is, that that should always exist with parents and you know, teaching your kids values and morals and how to treat people. And I don't know why now because of the internet, these kids and the anonymity of it forget those values. I don't think they're being taught them, Mari. That's me. I I know too many parents that think this is cute. I have... What do you mean cute? Okay, I'll give you a personal (laughs) anecdote. I know someone, and she's a dear friend of mine, I love her to death. I heard her say... That she told her daughter that if someone comes up to her at school and picks on her and makes fun of her outfit, which had been happening, to t- this is a grown, educated woman, told her four-year-old to tell the other child, that's okay um, because your mom's ugly anyway. So this is really happening, Murray. That's all. My, that's my only point is that I think it's nice to, to assume that we're all at this level of character and consciousness. I'm just it's too much in my face that many of us are not operating under that. So the so when her little girl goes on to be a cyber bully, I'm not surprised and it has nothing to do with her ability to monitor what her daughter is doing. No, you're teaching your kid the wrong thing. I just think it's a lot easier to say, you know, your mom is ugly online than it is to say it face to face. But and her so daughter's that's... doing probably both. She'll be doing both. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of kids have a hesitation with saying these things face-to-face, and they don't online. And the problem is the way technology is moving, it is difficult to constantly monitor what your children exactly. are doing Exactly. I think online. we're saying the same thing, Mari, yeah. because, again, I don't think you can monitor what they're doing. So, therefore, it's about instilling in them just an inner compass of right, right and wrong. Yeah. You know, because, yeah, I mean, my mom didn't watch everything I did either, but I, I just knew where the line was. And I resp- I was accountable to myself. Yeah. So. And so we, we do want people to weigh in. Yeah, um, yeah, this is our yeah. Tipping the Scales segment. Uh, we want you to reach out to us online. Absolutely. <laughs> On Twitter, at Mari Fagel. Um, at Ebony underscore K. And tell us whether you think teens should be criminally charged, whether you think their parents should be charged and held responsible for the kids' actions. Reach out to us on Facebook. And as always, please go online on iTunes. Rate us five stars. Comment. We love your comments. We will always respond to them. Go on YouTube. Comment. um, And we will read them on air. Yeah, and as you can see, we like the the back and forth. So if you disagree with anything we've said here today, tell us that too. That's always fun. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, guys, so much. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Dario Kristen, and the entire VHL staff, we would like to thank you for tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network. 
If you have questions or comments, tweet us at BHL Online or email us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. For more exclusive content, visit blackhollywoodlive.com. This has been a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live Network. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.